and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. The full episode with Chuck and John, I think, will be out either Wednesday afternoon or hopefully... Hopefully Wednesday afternoon before game three. Hopefully there's still a series to talk about by the time the full episode comes out. If you want to hear more from Chuck and John before that full episode, you can always head over to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast and join our Patreon Slack chat where we've been talking about these games around the clock and talking about a lot of other things as well for a monthly pledge of $3 a month. You can get the unfettered, unfiltered access to myself and John and Chuck. So if you're a big fan of what we do and want to get some more basketball, just go to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast. My guest today is a contributor for fastmodelsports.com. He's the host of the Jump Ball podcast. Mr. Mo DeKeel. How are you doing, Mo? I'm doing well, Keith. How about yourself? Doing fantastic. Excited to have you on. I like you. Uh, we follow each other on Twitter. I know your work there. I've made a few jokes where you thought I was being serious, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm not good at that. I don't, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm just not good at reading Twitter and going like, oh, he's kidding. No, yeah. not, it doesn't get, and then when you then when you respond, I'm just like, oh, I'm a moron. You gotta, when you see, when you see the basketball egg in the frying pan <laughs> you gotta your first thought has to be like he doesn't mean that literally That's, yeah, yeah. but anyway uh we always ask our guests except for the times we forget what they had for breakfast did you have a chance to get breakfast this morning i actually did um a good friend of mine came over yesterday and made a bunch of fried chicken at my apartment oh so i, I had leftover fried chicken and i've been experimenting trying to work on my ability to make pancakes and somewhat failed today, but still kind of turned my pancakes into what would be known as a terrible crepe and <laughs> had a, uh, I had a big piece of fried chicken with a, a pancake slash crepe with honey and hot sauce. That's, that, that's amazing. You say crepe, I say crepe. It's all good. It, it might be a crepe. I listen, I, I'm an idiot for to begin with. So it, I'm probably saying it wrong. So we'll say crepe. Well, I don't ever you don't ever want to make fun of someone pronouncing a word incorrectly because that probably means they learned it by reading, which probably means they're smart. So, I, you know, a lot of my friends will argue the, uh, the opposite uh, with you when it comes to me. Like my, my wife is brilliant. She actually has a, uh, a very infrequent guest spot on our show where she does her crepes of wrath. Which is uh, what she says things she hates, but she frequently s says words like large words incorrectly, and I'm like, you're not saying that right. It's because she's a voracious reader, also doesn't like talking to people, so sometimes that uh, that comes out that way. But that's well, let's flip this around though. Yes, let's flip it around though. What did you have for breakfast today? What did I have for breakfast? I had leftover. I mean, I pretty much had a lunch. I had leftover <laughs> barbecue from the day before, which. Frequent listeners will know that's kind of a common, a common breakfast for me. So I had a little bit okay. of pulled. It was actually some pulled chicken and some mac and cheese. So there you go. Okay. I appreciate you though turning the table. A lot of people don't ask me what I ate for breakfast, and you know, 
It's not rude, but it also isn't polite. So either way. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking on Monday, the day after game two of the NBA Finals, another thorough, convincing win for the Warriors. And I feel like a lot of NBA writers, a lot of email threads I'm on, a lot of the Twitter timeline that I'm seeing, a lot of people are kind of pulling their hair out, questioning the existence of basketball and what they're doing with their lives covering this sport because they feel like it's all just nihilism now. Nothing means anything because the Warriors are this unstoppable force. I'm curious, Mo, where do you fall on this spectrum of it's all meaningless, we should just run and cover our heads because the Warriors are going to kill us for the foreseeable future? No, I, I, I'm actually on the opposite spectrum of it. I'm, I'm enjoying watching their brand of basketball. It's kind of the way basketball should be played. The ball moves, they're cutting, they're, they're passing. They're not just an offensive team like the, the Phoenix Suns were back in the day. They're also doing it really well on the defensive end. They're, they're, they're kind of what you would say is the model basketball team. They have a level of dominance that we haven't really seen. Um, I mean, the 90s Bulls were really dominant. And it, it, it kind of since that that level, like we just haven't seen it. And the thing people forget about the, these Warriors, even though they got Durant now, they did kind of come out of nowhere two or three years ago. You know, nobody had them being this great and being this team until they, they got it going. And it doesn't mean we can't have another team come out of nowhere and really challenge these guys. They may not beat them, but they could challenge them and they could really push them. And I think this is something that teams should strive for. Like, this is what we want. We always want to see greatness. And as soon as we see greatness, we want to start saying like, okay, now you need to dial it back and just be good. Yeah, I agree. And I think a big point of what you just said is this isn't the Lakers or the Celtics or a team with a large history of just continuous winning. This is a team that had been bad for most of, you know, everyone's lifetimes who follows the NBA now, like it's been, I don't know, you know, whatever the seventies since the Warriors were, were good. This is a team that built themselves organically through the draft. They nailed the draft. And then through a weird stroke of luck, they had the opportunity to add a huge free agent. Like it's weird that we're, we're kind of blaming them for doing something, you know, that seems people are finding like morally offensive. I mean, like, what are they supposed to do? They have an opportunity to sign a top three NBA player. Are they supposed to say, like, no, we care about the parity of the league. We, you know, we're, we're ready for that challenge. We're not going to sign Kevin Durant. You know, and, and when you flip it around, you say, well, Kevin Durant shouldn't join them. We judge these guys by rings. How many championships have you won? You know, LeBron goes to seven straight finals and people still don't think that's good enough. You know, and, and 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 talk about how he's not the greatest of all time. I don't know if he is or isn't, but he should be in the conversation. But people still want to slam him down. I don't know what we expect from Kevin Durant in that situation. You know, it's it's for both these teams. You know, for Durant and for the Warriors, like this is what you're supposed to do. You know, and the other teams didn't make a strong enough pitch to sway him to to go elsewhere or or stay with the Thunder. And 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 now we just want to blame them. I kind of think it's a little. Uh, disingenuous almost or like we're we're disappointed now yeah i i definitely agree but what we're seeing though after the first two games do you think right now we're watching a peak of basketball like is this the best basketball we've ever seen 
Not necessarily. I mean, like, you know, I think game one was the best we've ever seen the Warriors play. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they only had four turnovers. They were dominant on the offensive glass. You know, I don't know what the, the number was. I haven't actually looked at the stat sheet yet for game two, but I know Curry had eight turnovers. I mean, they had a ton of turnovers all night. So I don't think this was their best basketball game last night. I think there were definitely areas where they can improve and fix on things, which is also somewhat frightening. Mm-hmm. But I, I think just the era of basketball, like this is a great era to be in. I think we have some really – I, I kind of think down in the future, like you know, four or five years and assuming health kind of doesn't play a factor for most of these teams, I think we're going to have some really interesting, exciting teams with Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks if – the, the Sixers get back on track. They have a ton of young talent. I think Minnesota's got a ton of young talent. Like, I think we're, we're on, like, the beginning of an amazing run for basketball if everything kind of cooperates. You need luck. You need some things to, to work out. But I think we're on a run where we're about to see a lot of amazing players out there. I mean, this past season was amazing. I mean, so many different storylines and guys that we, we can talk about in teams. You know, we forget now because it's the finals, but – you know, the Bucks were amazing. The the 31 games of Embiid, it was it was the equivalent of like what is it, the 12 days of Christmas? Like he gave us something new every every game. I I, I think we're, we're we're having some fun times with it. And, and don't get me wrong, I think the Warriors are even going to be better next year with another year under their belt and more chemistry. I mean, they might even challenge their own 73 record just by accident next year. Right, and, and you emphasize the interesting storylines of the regular season unrelated to the Cavs or Warriors. And that's what I enjoy the most as a basketball fan. And I've been talking with some people about that today, how I'm not super discouraged about the super team Warriors. And I think a lot of it is because none of my favorite teams have I ever considered like them as title favorites, or I don't go into most seasons thinking my team has a chance of winning. And that's just whatever being a sports fan in Nashville, Tennessee, and just randomly picking, (laughs) you know, close by teams. So like when I watch the NBA, like my favorite part kind of is the regular season. And yes, the Grizzlies have had a really good run for the last six, seven years, but I still go into each season being like, you know, if things go our way, there's like this remote chance we make it to the finals, but I know it's remote. So I'm, I guess I've just gotten accustomed to seeing like, Shaq and Kobe kill everyone and it seems like well no one's going to beat them for a while and then you know growing up with Michael Jordan being like these guys are way better than everybody else so I don't so yeah so I'm not, I'm not getting too um too worked up about it looking at the league looking at a guy like Joel Embiid do you think that there is a place for a center like that that might be something you, we can the league can use to combat the Warriors because that's the one thing they don't really have is like a big dominant big man yeah, no, I, I I think he's kind of the, the he he's part of the evolution of what the the center position is going to be now. You know, we we've gone from a post up position to you know these guys throwing the ball down to the post and you know these we'll give it to them on the block. They're going to pound it, pound it, pound it, command a double team, kick it out, or, or or make a post move and get a shot off. Whereas now we expect our big men. Not only do we we're not only looking for stretch fours, we're looking for stretch fives. And you need to be versatile no matter what position you are now. One through five, you got to be able to do just about everything on the court. So you need, you're going to need guys like Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, Kristaps uh, Porzingis. All those guys have a skill set of being able to shoot, being able to, to put the ball on the floor and drive a little bit. You know, I'm not sure how great some of these guys are in creating off the dribble and so on, but I think that's kind of 
where we're going with the center position is that we're going to start seeing more and more of these guys. And Joel Embiid's a great example of it because he he does it on both ends. You know, the numbers he was putting up on the defensive end were outstanding. Uh, he was I, I don't I'm, forgive me for not having stats or anything, but he was up there in at least the top five in terms of uh, blocks at the rim or field goal percentage at the rim. And and this is an impressive thing, you know, to be able to do it on both ends of the court, because now we're so infatuated with the offensive end that we forget, you know, the term, you know, a we get shocked now when we have a two way player. And for me, that's that's a basketball player. You're supposed to be two ways. This isn't football. You don't play just offense or defense. You, you need to be a two way player as a basketball player to me. And these other guys are one way players. And we get we're having a lot more one way guys and not enough two way guys. So I think you're going to start seeing centers taking on more responsibility you got to be able to protect the rim but you got to be able to hit that that jumper you got to be able to hit the three ball at least the corner three to stretch the floor out looking at this series right now with obviously the Cavs down and as as we're contractually obligated to say they were in this position last year as well but what is it in the first two games that you've seen that has surprised you the most you know, the one thing that's really surprised me the most is the Cavs trying to run with the Warriors. And it just doesn't make sense to me. I know it, it, it actually worked for them last year. But they were also, last year, they, they didn't have Kevin Durant. They had Harrison Barnes. And I think this year, trying to run with this team, trying to outshoot this team, is just not going to happen. It's, and it's not a, it doesn't matter who you have on your, on your squad. They have three of the top five NBA three-point shooters. You know, so you're not going to be able to outshoot this team and Clay's beginning to get going now. So I was surprised with how much the Cavs were trying to run up and down. I thought after game one, I thought they tried to slow it down in game two, but that didn't seem to be the case. You know, one thing I'd like to see them do, you know, and it's something we saw the Spurs do, you know, especially in that game one was when the when the Warriors went small, they just went big. They said, screw it. We're going big. We're staying big. And I think that's the. I think that kind of has to be the mentality the the Cavs have of like we're going to stick with Tristan Thompson. He hasn't been that great these two games, but he's he's part of the reason why they got there and he he can be a real force on the offensive glass. I think they kind of need to just get back to just let's slow it down. You know, in the first the first matchup, the first time they were in the finals, that was the thing. They they kept the pace slow and and I know they had injuries and things like that, so they they didn't want to keep have that many possessions, but I think that's what the problem is now is they're they're trying to run with the Warriors. They shouldn't. They need to just slow everything down. Do you think it's part of their game plan that they're like, let's just do it. Let's just go toe-to-toe, go up and down the court, get the ball to the basket. Let's just shoot. Let's show them we can do it. It seems like, and you know, to be honest, that's how they got there. Like, it's a tough tough thing to adjust and change the way you play, you know, mid-finals. But, you know, all through the playoffs, they were they were very aggressive defensively, forcing turnovers, getting getting out in transition and and being able to play small and, and, and get away with it and go and knock down shots and things like that. But now you just ran into a team that does it a whole lot better than you. And it's, again, it's not really a slight on the Cavs. It's just the reality of the situation. So I think, you know, it, it, it is a surprise to me. And if that's their game plan, I think, you know, they got to readjust now. Outside of slowing the pace of the game down, is there anything else you can see that will be able to get them back in the series? One thing I've, noticed and I, I rewatched game two this morning while having my amazing breakfast. Yeah. The <laughs> the one thing I noticed was that the the Cavs, a lot of the guys, and this isn't LeBron, but everybody else, even Kyrie to an extent, like when they catch the ball, 
they're not really attacking right off the catch. And I think that's been the advantage to the Warriors because then even if the Warriors are behind on a rotation, the, them slowing down, these guys like Kyrie, like you know Richard Jefferson, and, and they're not – some of these guys aren't great playmakers, but they need to be able to make something happen. They need to go on the catch and I think and, – and, and really attack these closeouts and really attack the defense a little more. But the problem is they're just kind of – they're like one second too slow. And for the Warriors, just the way their defense is – it's kind of like a, a football team with a fast defense, right? As soon as the pass gets to the receiver, the entire defense swarms on the guys. They're just super fast. So I think, you know, you give them a second of, hes- you hesitate for a second, they're on you. So I think they need to be quicker with their decisions. I think they need to attack a lot more quicker on the, uh, on the catch and, and, and really just, just go. I almost wonder if also if Kyrie should be looking to create for others a little more in the fact it seems like Kevin Durant has really focused on him that like once Kyrie dribbles a couple times, he's going to shoot. And so I keep seeing like Kevin Durant jump over, block those shots. And I don't know if there's any kind of way that they can adjust to that or if it's just Kevin Durant going super Saiyan, you know, roving the court and just having his way with whatever the Cavs do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard, right? Cause like, to be honest, as Kyrie as a creator isn't really his role on that team, and right. it's not really him, right? Like he's a scoring point guard, and it's LeBron's job to facil- uh, facilitate. Excuse me. And I think again, that's what makes it tough for for the Cavs offensively. And you know, he's he's got to make the right passes, and he has the ability to do it. And he'll and and I don't think he's an unwilling passer. I think if he finds the guy, he'll find him. But I think they need to get Kyrie scoring. That's mm-hmm. the thing, though, is I, th- I think they need to get him scoring, get him in. He needs to just keep attacking the lane. You know, when he settles for a three, although he can shoot it, it, it kind of lets the defense off the hook. I think if, if he can start attacking the the paint more and, and, and really drive on those those situations where the ball gets swung out to him and they're closing out, drive, try to get them in the foul trouble, try to get to the free throw line. That All of that does is slow the game down some more and really helps you guys out and, and will help the, the Cavs. I think – that's more Kyrie's uh, role, I think, and what they really kind of need to get him going. Um, I, I just don't. I, I if he, I don't think he can turn into a facilitator overnight. Yeah. I, I just don't see that happening. No, that, that makes sense. I'm curious. Uh, you you have a background of film breakdown, an X's and O's guy. Uh, I, I'm curious. How can you explain to someone, say like me, who's just you know uh, armchair critic watching on TV, um, what was the difference between when Mike Brown was head coach and when Steve Kerr is in their coaching? You know, the one thing, and they, and they they talked about it a little bit was I think Mike Brown had a willingness to go more one on one, you know, and and there are times when it calls for it when you need a bucket and your offense isn't going well, he's willing to isolate. Uh, like Kevin Durant and and put him in a situation where, hey, go get us a bucket. Whereas Kerr is, doesn't really do that. And I think that's one thing you, you, you've kind of noticed. But apart from that, everything we've read, you know, you and I, and, and most of us aren't in the inner circle of the Warriors, so we don't know how much was going on. But there was clearly tons of communication going back and forth. You know, Kerr was at practices. He'd be in the locker room, you know, and, and, and talking to the guys and and maybe even given the halftime speech on occasion and so on. So I, I haven't seen too much of a difference. I just think that that's the one thing I've noticed where they, they're willing to go a little more one-on-one and a little away from the team game 
just a little bit, not a lot, but just a couple of possessions here and there. If he, if they're worried about their offense, not getting its flow going and just to make sure they get some buckets going and, and you got to get a bucket in this situation we're we're going to go ISO. And I think that's the one thing I've noticed. Well, I picked the Cavaliers to win the series beforehand in a, a brazen anti scientific anti data stance <laughs> based. It, it literally was based on the, like, Everything says the Warriors are going to win. I haven't seen them click. I don't feel like they're battle tested. Uh, let's just—I'm just going to go the other way just to see what happens. <laughs> so, so, so far, so far, it's been terrible uh, for that decision. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard that you picked the Warriors to win comfortably uh, in, in this series. Uh, do you think we're going to see? Do you have a prediction that we're going to see uh, some more competitive games, or is this going to be the the 16 and 0 postseason? I think we'll see a better Cavs team in Game Three for sure. I think. Your role players always play better at home. I, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know if there are numbers to prove it, but it's just a feel. I think these guys feel a little more comfortable at home, in your home arena. This is something that I, I, I kind of expect them to play better. Um, so I think we'll have a better team. I think I just can't see Tristan Thompson being having this rough of a run, you know, as he's had these past few games, I don't really see it continuing too much in, in game three. I feel like he's going to start crashing the glass and, really get going. So I think we'll have a more competitive game. I don't necessarily mean that translates to a Cleveland win. I, I, I just think we'll, we'll, we'll have a better game, but if they, I think if Cleveland loses game three, I think game four is going to be pretty ugly too. I, I, I just think the motivation and it's harder to, to kind of get up for it when you're down three Oh, especially against this, this dominant of a team. But for me, I, I had the, I had the warriors in, in, in five games, maybe six, uh, I think I had six and I think after game one, I wanted to cheat and change it back to five. So <laughs> I think that's the, uh, that's the way I see it. I just don't. And this is what it would have been last year. If Draymond didn't get suspended, in my opinion, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it would have been the warriors in five. And this to me is kind of playing in that similar run. So I wouldn't be surprised to get, see the Cavs get game three. I, you know, I could, I could easily see a sweep. I can easily see this thing being over in, in five. Yep. And, and you point out like if, if Draymond hadn't been suspended and if Clay Thompson hadn't hit 11, three pointers in game six against the thunder, these are the razor edge whatever universe changing moments that led to this thing of Durant being on the warriors, which is just a, a crazy thing to think about. Like if, if any of these things go the other way, almost certainly this Cavs team might be different. And then Durant's probably still in Oklahoma city and, and we don't have this, I guess, nefarious super team that people are angry about. Again, I'm not angry. I'm really enjoying watching the games. I I think they're uh, incredibly entertaining. But I I still, when the series started, still picking the Cavs, but acknowledging this is is an underdog pick and likely not not to happen. The idea of them being swept, though, was stunning to me. Like, I still maintain, like, that would be super surprising. But we're definitely staring down uh, the barrel of that right now. Yeah, Um, I mean... A, a, a sweep is something like, you know, it, to, to me, if if the Warriors sweep and and basically have swept their way through the playoffs, I mean, that's a level of dominance even the, the, the Bulls never had, you know, and that's that's something that's that says a lot, you know, and I, everybody's going to talk parody and things like that. And so and so is injured and so and so is that. I'm sorry. That happens every year. That's sports. That's that's the playoffs. These things happen all the time, you know, and the, and the Warriors are enjoying a good run right now. 
and we should just enjoy greatness when it happens instead of trying to tear it down. You know, and I, I just as much as I enjoy LeBron, you know, being dominant and running the Eastern Conference, you know, it's it's we just got to enjoy greatness when we got it. I agree. It's a it's a great perspective to have. Uh, last thing, I just want you to tell me and and our and our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself because most of the people we have on here are just kind of like me, where we're guys who just watch a lot of basketball and then decided we would either write about it or podcast about it. But your career path has been a little bit more interesting. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have eight years of experience in the NBA as a video coordinator. I, you know, and if you're not familiar with a video coordinator does, it's basically somebody that breaks down game film, you know, and prepares, helps the coaches and players prepare for our upcoming opponents, reviewing our own games, kind of where can we get better. And, you know, before that, I was a coach for junior college basketball team in, in Los Angeles at Santa Monica City College. I was an assistant there and, you know, been working in basketball, you know, since I was 19. Um, gosh, I'm getting kind of old. That's not cool. Uh, but the, uh, you know, so my, my career path has taken me many places. I've been lucky. I was with the, I had two different stints with the Clippers. I was with, you know, two years with the Spurs. I also got to work for the Australian national team as their video coordinator. So I was with them from 2010 to 2012 and got to take part in the London Olympics. So I've seen basketball pretty much every which way you can, you know, and I've been lucky. I've, I, I, I've truly am you know, happy with, with the experiences I've had. Basketball took me around the world on a couple different occasions. So, you know, that's, that's my background. So I've been around the game. I've been in practices, team meetings, coaches meetings, um, getting ready for the playoffs. And, and I've traveled on the road with the team many times and, and have that experience. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I thank you for taking the time to, uh, join us with all that experience. Uh, with that Aussie connection, do you think, uh, Della Vidova is truly the missing piece? It, he wouldn't hurt in this series. I, I mean, we saw him last year not be able to play so much in this series, but you know they're they're not getting fifty fifty balls like they used to, you know. And and he's the kind of guy that will literally crash into the scores table to save the ball. So you know they maybe they kind of need a little bit of that crazy uh, Aussie spirit of just I'm going to give up my body and go all in. So you know he he couldn't hurt in this situation, right? Uh, I don't think I could hurt so far in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Mo, uh, t- tell people where they can hear your stuff or read you online. Well, I, I'm a contributor at fastmodelsports.com. I also have my own website, thejumpball.net. You can also find my podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Just, just search the jump ball. I've just started a YouTube page um, as recently as yesterday. So you can find my stuff on YouTube. Uh, I have a new video out called the Curry Gravitational Pull. So I highly recommend you guys check it out, subscribe, and you know you can follow me on Twitter at the Jump Ball Net. That's perfect, Mo. Thanks uh, again for joining us, and best of luck with those crepes. Uh, thanks, Keith. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks a bunch to Mo Dakil for. Jumping on again, last second replacement came through in the clutch and was fantastic. I'm definitely going to go over to his YouTube page and see if I can't educate myself a little better. Picking the Cavs to win. 
Where you at, LeBron? Anyway, thanks, you guys, for listening. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We have 42 awesome folks, fans, who are paying us to put these out. We're going to keep putting out episodes all summer long. So support us over there at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. <laughs>